from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. By the time that he answered the phone, I knew about it, just about everything. And so I just asked him if it were if it was true. You know, did you abuse Jody Jones and this other person? And um, he was, it was very surreal because he told me that he was busy doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and ministry is all I'm focusing on. When I tried to clarify if children's ministry was what he was focusing on, um, he just kept repeating himself and asked me if I ever had done anything that needed forgiveness. I'm Rod Milam. We head to the popular evangelical Christian summer camp of Canacook, based in Branson, Missouri. And each and every year, tens of thousands of campers from Missouri and other states attend. But in 2009, counselor Pete Newman was arrested there, and we found out about his history of abusing more than a dozen campers. Newman is now serving a life sentence in prison for the abuse, and the camp denied knowing anything about the abuses that were occurring. But according to reporting by journalist and New York Times bestselling author Nancy French, there was a wider abuse pattern, including more abusive counselors, more ignored red flags, and a St. Louis connection as well. I'd like to welcome journalist Nancy French to the program today to talk about her lengthy reporting on the Canacook camp. Nancy, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming. Nancy, last month you published a series of really deep and hard-hitting investigative pieces on in the Springfield News Leader documenting decades of abuse at Canacook. How did you first come about this story? Well, by trade, I'm a ghostwriter, a celebrity collaborator, and so I frequently meet with people to talk about books, and one of the people that I've met with over the course of my career was Gretchen Carlson, formerly of Fox News. Mm-hmm. Um, And Gretchen had found out about this camp and found out that there was massive abuse and massive um, cover-up by the use of non-disclosure agreements. And because she's sort of on a campaign against NDAs, she contacted me and asked me to look into it. It was the last thing I wanted to do. It's a topic that is so dark. But I decided, because of my relationship with Gretchen, to at least look into it for a month. That was two years ago. (laughs) Wow. And um, can you tell us a little bit about Canacook's history? And uh, It claims that there had about 25,000 campers that attended the facilities in Branson as well as other locations each and every summer. Just how popular is this camp and what are the denominations of Christianity um, that tend to present some of the campers to that whole facility? Yeah, well, the camp started in 1926. It is an evangelical staple, especially among wealthy evangelical elites, Um, They say that they've had half a million campers and 50,000 staffers. Hmm. Um, They're international, um, multi-million dollar global enterprise. Um, Its cultural reach extends much further beyond Branson, Missouri. A lot of famous evangelicals send their kids there, and because of that, their theology sort of seeps out into the broader culture because it is so influential. I would describe it as theologically within the mainstream evangelical culture. Um, It is not associated with any specific denomination, but um, people from all denominations, including Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, attend. 
Okay, but Nancy, while the while most of your reporting on Canacook is concerned with the victims, particularly of Pete Newman, uh, who was a counselor, and he convinced he confessed to abusing more than a dozen different young boys between 1995 and 2000. Now. Uh, 2009. He's now serving a life sentence in a Missouri prison. And the camp leaders say they had, did not have a clue at all about there being rampant uh, abuse going on at the school. But your reporting really has or uh, claims some doubt about that. Can you tell us why? Yeah, that's why I sort of have been stuck on this project for so long. I started looking into it because of their NDA issue. And when I started looking in the super predator Pete Newman's history, it was so startling. Um, the prosecutor estimated that Newman abused hundreds of children. And when I started looking into the evidence, I found emails and letters and complaints that parents had filed for a full decade before Newman was caught. And they would say things like, my son went uh, on a basketball a trip with Pete Newman and Pete Newman was playing nude or he encouraged my son to be nude or my son comes home from visiting with Pete Newman and he throws away his jeans. Why would that happen? Or even in one case, a camper saw Pete Newman molesting a kid and they told the camp and the camp booted the witness, the whistleblower, not Pete Newman. And so that was really alarming. Um, there were multiple instances of inappropriate behavior that included nudity, like nude running through the camp, nude basketball, nude four-wheeling, nude swimming, um, a lot of behavior that uh, would be characterized as more significant than ignoring red flags, but actually ignoring um, very abusive uh, behavior uh, from Pete Newman towards multiple, multiple children. Wow, those are pretty heavy claims. Why is he only locked up for one of the claims? Um, well, he, he he has he's serving two life sentences plus thirty years. Okay, and so there were several people that came forward. Not all of the victims filed criminal charges. A lot of them filed civil uh, action suits against the camp. So there was so much evidence against him that the evidence that came forward was enough for two life sentences plus 30 years. So he is a super predator. He's one of the most prolific serial abusers that I've ever heard of. And um, he's been locked away. And he is uh, his main efforts uh, in his court testimony and sentencing was, according to family members, uh, to protect the camp. And when I saw that, I thought, why would they need to protect the camp? What did the camp do? And that's why I started digging into it and realizing that many of the camp leaders, including the ones that are still running the camp today, were aware of a lot of this abusive behavior and looked the other way. Not only looked the other way, but promoted him repeatedly. Now, one of those people that you're alleging that actually was continuing the abuse, his name was Chuck Price. Um, can you talk a little bit about who he was and what it was that you've uncovered about him? Yeah, so one of the most alarming things is after I started looking into Pete Newman, I realized that there were a lot of other predators. So people would send me tips and they say, I wasn't abused by Pete Newman, but I was abused by this female counselor in the 1950s or this male counselor in the 1980s. And I just started collecting that data. So I have hundreds of victims on a spreadsheet and maybe 33 perpetrators that have been told of, and I started tracking them down. One of them was named Chuck Price. And he was a gentleman who worked at Canacut Camps for about nine years in various capacities. And um, he started working there, I think, in 1981. 
And in 1990, a young girl camper accused him of um, abusing her, and Chuck Price admitted to it. And so he was fired. So the Kanakuk leadership actually stepped in and fired him. They did not call authorities. Um, and they said, well, we'll just keep an eye on him. Uh, and if he ever tries to work with children again, we'll intervene. Well, that did not turn out to be the case. They couldn't keep an eye on him because, you know, this camp leadership, they're not ubiquitous. They can't just watch every person's move. And so Chuck Price went on to work at three different schools. And he, he started becoming uh, a volunteer at K-Life in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And he was a girls volleyball coach in St. Louis. And so ever since 1990, when he was caught and confessed to abusing children, he's been around children ever since. So that was super alarming to me. So I started trying to dig into that and trying to find enough evidence to establish, you know, what was actually true about it and, you know, what were the facts surrounding this case because I had to find enough evidence to be legally and morally, um, you know, allowed to print this in USA Today in the Springfield News Leader. And I got ample evidence uh, that he, uh, you know, that he was someone that I could name as a predator who was caught at Kanakuk but has still been at large ever since. And this is a pattern that Kanakuk has had. They catch people. They just send them out into an unsuspecting world. So, Nancy, you did dig into multiple cases uh, that were connected to Price, and one of the alleged victims was Jody Jones, and he started attending Kennecook back in 1985, and when she was eight years old, Jones spoke with our producer, Danny Wisentowski, and recalled how she first saw Kennecook, calling it every little kid's dream. You found counselors that you really connected with, and you'd see them all day long. I mean, everybody had meals together, and you hung out together and did sports together and, you know, had evening activities. The whole thing just lent itself to really getting to know people. Um, you're, you're in each other's space 24 hours a day um, for, for a whole month. And so it really did lend itself to um, strong relationships. I mean, I, I ended up going back to camp for years with, with other girls that I'd met because we wanted to go the same term so we could see each other again and foster the relationships we'd made the summer before. The same was, you know, it, you were excited when you showed up and the same counselors were there year after year. It was part of the draw of camp. Jones says that she never had met a counselor or check price before camp movie night that summer. And after a swim, a group of campers and counselors gathered in a gym to watch a movie. And at one point, she says price began tickling her foot. She alleges that the touching escalated to a sexual assault when he began touching her beneath her bathing suit. And Jones described what happened next. And I sat up and looked him in the eye and just said, Chuck. And he looked at me and we had a moment and I didn't say another word. I turned around, I sat up and watched the movie and I never said another word. And I think that my opposition to what was happening probably caused him to avoid me for the rest of the term. I wasn't just going to be a kid that was going to not say anything. So, so that was the only time it ever happened. I don't remember interacting with him after that at camp. I think he probably avoided me. And I didn't see him again in the years that follow until I was 13 until the year that I actually told people what happened. 
And it wasn't until 1990, which ended up being five years later, that Jody says that she was able to speak about what had happened to her, and then she reported that abuse to camp leaders. He was let go from camp. So the way that camp handled it was that they just they let him go. They told everyone at camp he had a family emergency. They let him pack his bags, and he walked out the door. But there was no investigation. There was no police report. There was nothing that was ever going to mark his character as you know, stay away. And I, and I just knew that he was there, but I never had the guts, I guess, to go and, and dig into who he was or where he was and how I should stop him. Um, until Nancy came along and until the story broke. And Jones's story of abuse was featured in Nancy French's articles published back in May in the News Leader. And French's reporting also revealed that Price was volunteering at a St. Louis ministry, as was mentioned, uh, that was affiliated with Canacook that was called Urban K-Life. Jones also reached out to the ministry to alert them to Price's history and the articles. And in an email sailed with St. Louis on the Air, the group confirmed that Price had been involved in the ministry in the past, but added that he is no longer involved and will not be involved in the future. The K-Life statement advised Jody to contact the police over or on or the St. Louis or the National Child Abuse Hotline. It stated, we stand on the side of every victim of abuse and pray the experience full hearing healing from the trauma and the abuse that they experienced. But for Jones, however, the response lacked urgency. I would like to believe that they're putting some of the responsibility on themselves and actually letting people know um, that that have come to K-Life and have been in his contact, you know, talking to those parents. But I would guess that would cause too many waves, and it's probably not the, the path that they've taken. But it is a question I'd love to have asked. Now, that was Jody Jones, who was discussing her allegations of abuse against former Canuckook counselor Chuck Price. Now, Price went on to volunteer with Urban K-Life, which is a youth ministry affiliated with the camp. And on Thursday, our producer, Danny Wisentowski, reached out to K-Life with questions about Price's involvement with the youth ministry. K-Life did not immediately reply to the request for comments. And photos on social media show Price at the ministry's events as late as November 21. Um, Nancy, Chuck Price might have been fired for Mechanicook, but he turned up in St. Louis, as you mentioned, in roles that put him in close contact with children. Uh, what was he actually doing there? Well, K-Life is uh, just another ministry. Canacook has a lot of associated sister ministries, and so K-Life is a, a ministry that ministered to children in St. Louis. I'm not sure what he did. I looked through all of their um, their social media. I've seen him at golf tourna- tournaments and fundraising events and um, he seemed to be just a volunteer, um, both there and maybe in other, in other places. Um, he seemed to, uh, not necessarily be employed, but just to simply volunteer. And that's how he had access to children. Now you managed to contact Chuck Price directly. Uh, what did he tell you when you actually confronted him? Yes. Um, I, it was pretty terrifying for me because I, I don't do this normally in my life. Um, so I just called him up on the phone and told him what, that I was investigating sex abuse camp at, uh, sex abuse at Canicut camps, and I understand that he had intimate knowledge of this. And so um, I just went on to explain that I had already talked to two victims. Um, there was another victim, in addition to D- Jody Jones, who preferred to remain anonymous, that camp also knew about. And so I talked to her, I talked to Jody, I talked to the people at Canicut who were aware of the situation. 
Um, I knew by this point, by the time that he answered the phone, I knew about just about everything. And so I just asked him if it were, if it was true. Um, and I asked him, you know, did you abuse Jody Jones and this other person? And, um, he was, it was very surreal because he told me that he was busy doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior and Lord and ministry is all I'm focusing on. When I tried to clarify if children's ministry was what he was focusing on, um, he just kept repeating himself and asked me if I ever had done anything that needed forgiveness and reconciliation with the Lord, which of course I, I sin constantly uh, and admitted that. Um, but I, I talked to him about how part of forgiveness involves the confession of sin. And so I was giving him that opportunity to tell me the truth about what happened. He did not take me up on my offer. Um, and uh, I asked him, if, if he did it and if he, and if he wouldn't go so far to say if he had done it, would, uh, does he deny that he did it? And he, did, he just kept talking about Jesus. And so it, the conversation didn't go very far, but he did not take the opportunity to, de- to deny his abuse at Canicut Camps. And was that the last contact you had with him? Yes, that was the last time I even tried because that was pretty much all I wanted. I just wanted to make sure that I was on the right track and to give him the opportunity to explain himself. Well, this camp is so broadly attended by so many different people that are definitely here in our listening area. I'd like to open up and invite our listeners to join into the conversation in just a couple of moments. If you have a question or if you have a comment or maybe you were a former camper at this camp on this topic, why don't you give us a call? The telephone number to call is 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air, or you can also send an email at talk at stlpr.org. Um, Nancy, and we've spoken about Chuck Price already, and along with Newman, you dove into lawsuits and criminal cases, and you spoke to victims, former staff members, camp counselors, and friends who would be able to corroborate some of those stories. Were you able to identify six other men who were affiliated with Canacook who could have been uh, or who have been convicted of sexual crimes involving children? And if you were, what do these cases say about Kenna Cook's handling of child abuse as it occurred at that camp? That's exactly right. So when I started digging into this, not only did, did people, you know, contact me with not, I wouldn't call them rumors, but just allegations that were uncorroborated that I had to go, I try to corroborate myself. But I also found that there were people who had been at camp who had already been arrested um, and some of them are, uh, had malfeasance at the camp. Some of them were at the camp and then were later arrested for abusing children. And that included um, Lee Bradbury, Paul Kerr, Ed Ringham, uh, Robert John Morgan, Corby Dell Grimes, William French Anderson, Paul Green, Chuck Price. And there are so many more. And some of these stories are just, they will make your... Uh, they'll make you hesitant to ever walk out of the house or to send your kids anywhere. Um, but those are just the ones that are we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then I have a ton of others that I'm still tracking. And so what it says about the camp is very chilling. So the same leadership that oversaw much of this abuse as, uh, uh, the, of the people that I just named are still there. And they have not come clean about much of this abuse. They're still not telling the truth about the Pete Newman saga. And for example, if you just take Chuck Price um, as as in one instance, so he admitted to abusing a kid in 1990. How safe is Canacuck now? They say they have a child protection plan that is um, excellent, 
But the child protection plan, which purports to keep pedophiles and abusers off the camp property, did not prevent Chuck Price from showing up at Canacut camps in 2017. I have a photo of Joe White, the CEO of Canacut, taking a smiling selfie with Chuck Price himself, with Chuck wearing a Canacut lanyard. Hmm. So the child protection plan does not prevent pedophiles from showing up at camp if they're invited. And so it does cast doubt on the wisdom of the leadership, the fact that they're currently not coming clean about the abuse, and the fact that even after all the journalism, they continue to just double down, hoping that the public does not pay attention and forgets. Now, Nancy, the Canacook website included a, includes a whole section that's called Our Response, and the statement charges that it's being targeted by a lot of different bloggers, or quote, several bloggers and authors in a coordinated attack against Canacook. And it describes um, an anonymous victim advocacy website as the source of, quote, misinformation and defamation. Uh, does that response by Canacook say anything to you? Yes. Um, I think that if there was defamation occurring, that their very energetic attorneys would probably have said something about that. There's a way to fight defamation. Um, and so the way that they could fight that is legally. Um, they have threatened us. Uh, my husband and I, David French and I, have written about this extensively. Um, they've threatened to sue us, but they have failed to do so. And so they sort of sound like uh, the boy who's crying wolf. Um, they know, it's interesting because their website has not refuted any of the claims. I've probably written 15,000 words in Springfield Newsleader and USA Today recently. And you notice they don't attack my journalism other than ad hominem ad hominem attack saying that it's copy and paste journalism. Um, but they are attacking uh, facts about Canacook, which is a victim advocacy, victim run advocacy organization. It's just not a good look that they won't come clean. What is what is defamatory? Like out of my reporting, there's nothing. Everything is backed up. And so I think that the camp has to pivot. And instead of trying to defend the indefensible, they should just come clean and let the public know what actually happened and stop trying to attack people who, like, I don't have an agenda here. I had never even heard of Canacut camps in my life. Okay. Um, I grew up evangelical, but I didn't have the kind of money to go to Canacut camp. So I'd never even heard of it. It wasn't on my radar. And so, um, you know, it's laughable to think that I would take two years off of my career to investigate a camp in Branson, Missouri that I'd never heard of. <laughs> but the reason I investigated it is because I feel like children's lives are at stake. Yeah. Very devastating. Nancy, I wish we had more time to talk, but we'll have to wrap it up right there. That's Nancy French, journalist and New York Times bestselling author, joining us today. Thank you very much, Nancy. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. 
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.